You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Be getting your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We've made our way on down to there so far in that book. First Corinthians chapter 2. And so once you find your place there, maybe I could make a mention to you and ask you to uh, take note of this if you would. Um, so let's see, one of the guys you mentioned that you had helping you yesterday was Brother Benji. Bowden and uh, Brother Benji, if you guys would remember, is out on um, deputation trying to raise support to be able to get back here in South Dakota and be able to help get around to some of these little towns dotted all over South Dakota that need a good gospel church in them, some kind of a gospel witness in them. And he, he has a sincere burden to get into those towns, get some families together, do a Bible study. Uh, try to win some souls to Christ and possibly get a work established in these towns. If you'll remember, well, I believe it was last summer, uh, we had, um, myself along with a couple of preachers and some of our young men here, had gone out and were looking at the towns in South Dakota and were noticing what the needs were. My heart was literally broken for so many of those towns that I would go into that do they have churches there? They have church buildings, and they have churches that teach that if you're baptized, you get to get into heaven, and doctrine that you and I do not see in the Bible, it's not scriptural, and your heart just breaks when you realize that's all that little town knows, is that message. And so um, I wanted us to do something as a church. I remember on a Wednesday night trying to talk to you about it, and God just really had my heart stirred about that, and so um, I got, uh, got a hold of Brother Benji. Brother Benji got a hold of me. And, um, excuse me, we got to talking about where his burden and his passion was. And God had led that man to a place where he feels like he's supposed to go out and actually do that very thing, go out to those little towns. And so um, I'm, I'm excited about what he's doing. And between now and next Wednesday night, you'll be in prayer about this. But uh, uh, next Wednesday night, I'd like to vote to take him on for uh, uh, support and the money's coming in good in our missions account I want to thank God for that uh, that uh, missions is up enough to be able to do that so I'm pretty excited about it and so you keep brother Benji in prayer that he can get his support and get up here as soon as possible and get to going through those little towns and um, share the message amen okay now in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 you ready for the title to the message here tonight it's got a little bit of length to it here but uh, so the title to my, my message tonight is we must build on truth and not man's persuasiveness we must build on truth and not man's persuasiveness out of first uh, corinthians 2 would you follow along as we read through the first five verses here and i'll hold off with that so paul is coming along to the church and he's trying to identify some of the issues that they're having and he can see problems beginning to stir in this church, 
and he's got reports coming back to him. He's probably seen some people from there, and uh, things are not sounding good, and he's having to write this letter to them to help correct these issues. And if you have been with us over chapter 1, Paul goes through and describes how God chose to bring people into the kingdom was through, not through foolish preaching, but through the foolishness of preaching, which means that uh, the world that doesn't know Christ as Savior might hear a message of the gospel preached in a church like this or other places, and a lost man might sit there and say, well, that's foolish. Or he might see a Christian on the street or somebody at work trying to be a testimony and maybe even witness to them, and they call those Christians foolish people holy rollers and all those kinds of things. And yet Paul goes through and explains to them as we get our way down through the end of chapter 1 that that's who God chose or that's the method God has chosen to use through what the world would call foolish preaching through the foolishness of preaching that some might be saved. You got saved that way. Somebody presented the gospel to you. Others may have thought your friend that witnessed to you was foolish, but to you, man, it was the power of God into salvation and thank God We're saved and on our way to heaven because of that. So he breaks down into um, chapter 2 now, the same kind of a theme, the importance uh, of the the real meat of what needs to be dealt with in the Christian life. Look in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God or making known the gospel to you. That's not the way I came to you. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was my message. That was my desire was just to make sure that message somehow, some way got into your heart. Verse 3 says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Sounds like the first time I got up to preach, in all seriousness. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Praise the Lord, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So let's pause there and we'll pray. God, thank you again for allowing us to break open the bread of life. And I would just as sincerely as possible ask you, Lord, would you allow that Spirit of God, that anointing of the Lord, to be upon me tonight and help me, God, to preach what you've given to me and uh, trust that you'll work it into our hearts and may it have a powerful effect upon us, Lord, throughout the rest of our lives. May we stop and do a little inventory of our church, of our own lives, just to see what it is we're operating in, whose strength we really have in what we're doing. And I pray you'll bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. I've often heard it said, if you sit around with preachers very long, uh, and they begin to talk about different churches and different ministries, it don't take long before, oh, the things that are going on around the world begin to get into that preacher's conversation, especially have four or five of them together, and they're tossing around a subject. Sometimes it gets to the mega churches, sometimes it gets right into their church, um, and how, you know, so-and-so's church has really grown and has really taken off, and and uh, others are like, I wonder how we could get our church to, you know, to have that potential for the Lord. And then inevitably it will come up, and this subject will usually come up, if you have some guys that take a stand on the Word of God and want to do it the right way. Their hearts are humble, they're very tenderhearted about things, but inevitably 
this statement will come out. It'll say, they'll say something like this. The way you get them, now we're talking about building up a church. You know, a, a church has been really growing. You'll hear this statement made. The way you get them is the way you have to keep them. In other words, the way you brought them into your church and allowed them to become a part of your church is really what you're going to have to keep doing to retain those same people. Uh, if, if you build a church with gimmicks and an outward emotional appeal, and how many of you know and understand there's a lot of that in the world today, the gimmicks and, and strong emotional appeal and uh, a lot of things that have a lot of perspiration but very little, if any, inspiration of God in them at all. And you can build a congregation that way. You can put together a body of believers that way. But that's what you got to do from that point on. You have to remain, and I'm just going to call it shallow. You have to be very emotional and continue to stir people's emotions up and wow them again next Sunday with some great new gimmick to keep them coming. So in Paul's letter here in chapter 2, Paul knew that there were the philosophers of his day that wanted to really impress the people with their knowledge and and it worked to a large degree. The people were really moved and motivated by the wisdom of these great philosophers and the Gnostics, how much they seemed to know and all the, you know, the quaint sayings that they could spout off so immediately and how it would stir their wit on the inside. Um, they were very prevalent in Paul's day, but the problem was they had no real substance to their teachings. It was the kind of teaching that had a form of godliness, but certainly denied the power thereof. They just did not have the true gospel in what they were saying. And Paul knew that. It was a body, but there was no skeleton to hold any kind of truth up whatsoever. And Paul knew that our only hope in this sin-cursed world is Jesus Christ. Paul knew that without doubt, that if this world has an iota of hope, that this world had better hear about the message of Jesus Christ. Um, as the Bible tells us, Christ Jesus is our completion. We are complete in Him, the Bible says. That He is our very life. He is our light. Christ is our blessed hope. He's our answer to every one of life's difficulties. And Paul knew that, that if he could get the message of Jesus Christ into the hearts of these people, he knew that he had hope for them and that he could build them up and take them out of this, uh, you know, this devilish teaching that they had that was literally going to lead them into a devil's hell. I, I mean, I love the chorus. I mean, the chorus we used to sing around here, or I've heard sang before, they had it right. Christ is all I need, if you remember singing that. And really and truly, Christ is all I need. It's really true. Someone else put it this way, when you get to the place where Christ is all you have, you've heard me quote this many times, when you get to the place where Christ is all you have, you'll find that he's all you need. And that is true. When everything else has faded away and everything else you reached out for and was falling through thin air and trying to grasp for straws and nothing seemed to be there, and yet you turned up to Christ and cried out for him, you found out that he did come to you and blessed you and helped you, gave you the stability that you needed. Paul also knew that Satan would do, he was willing to do any and everything the devil was that he could do to cause people to think that, you know, other things and other methods in life were as good as or probably even better than what Christ had himself. 
That's why he told Eve, you know, you can be as gods and so on and so forth, trying to build her up. Self-esteem and trying to get him to understand, you know, there's other ways other than this Jesus way. So in chapter 2 here tonight, Paul begins by directing their attention away from this attraction to the flesh, this desire to, you know, you just got to be perfect before God can really do anything uh, at, uh, at the house of God. Now, let me say this. I believe with all my heart, you ought to do the very best you can do for God. I think you ought to strive for perfection. I think you ought to do everything you can in your physical strength to do the, the very best that you can possibly do for Christ. He deserves my very best. But men at best are still just men. That's the truth. And all he's got to work with is what's sitting here in the pews and standing behind the pulpit. And we need to understand tonight, God is not looking so much for the man who has great talents and lets everybody know about them, but rather the men that know about a great God that can do great things for little men like you and me. And this church had begun to show some real danger signs of that. I, I know I kind of brought it up um, last Wednesday night. I think we could flip the fans on up there, guys. Be a, I know ladies have been begging me to cool it down in here. That's not the case. And ladies, don't throw apples and songbooks right now. Cause... So uh, last week, I believe we talked about doing a little inventory in your own heart, looking around at our church and, and asking yourself, um, is, there, is there any way where you feel like maybe in your service or maybe us as a church have begun to emphasize more of the showy rather than the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul was very concerned for the Corinthian church. They had begun to reduce themselves down to just what the rest of the world was trying to use to wow the crowds and to bring them in and try to get people to feel like this is the kind of church I want to be a part of. Uh, you know, you got to make Jesus attractive, you know. And, uh, and, and I've seen some good churches where lighting is a, is a big deal, uh, but Christ is the prominent, the preeminent one in that church. But there's folks that are thinking that, you know, the lights and the fog across the stage and, you know, the, the, the fancy whatevers that might be taking place are the things that are going to bring a crowd in to a church. Now, you might get a crowd to come in, but like I said before, we can get them to come in with pizza too. Now, I wouldn't be so much against the pizza if we want to try that sometime, amen? Uh, especially if there's a bunch of leftover, I kind of like pizza myself. But if we think that those are the kinds of things that are going to change the heart of man, uh, you know, the flashiness, and, and again, thank God for the building, and you heard me talk about this last week. I, I thank God for our building and what God's given to us. Uh, I, I think it's honoring to the Lord, and I think we need to give glory to Him for what He's given us to worship in here tonight. But those are not the things that are going to bring the Spirit of God down and change the lives of men. Nobody's going to walk into a building like this look around and fall down on their knees and say, sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> they just won't. Because it, it affects the outward is what it does. And, and, but as long as it's honoring to God, that's, that's what we need to be doing. Let me just make three points here tonight that stand out very obviously to me. Number one, success with God is not determined by our abilities. It's so easily stated in verse 1. Will you look back there with me in verse 1? 
And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I appreciate that about him. Paul begins by telling these Corinthians what success with God does not require. Uh, Paul was, in my opinion, used in a greater fashion probably than any of the other apostles. That's just my opinion. I believe every one of the apostles tried to accomplish God's will in their lives. It just would appear to me if I stood back and looked at all of them, it just seems like the apostle Paul was the prince of the apostles. That's my personal opinion. His missionary journeys are unparalleled in the depths that they reached out to. His preaching, if you'll follow him through the book of Acts and so forth, his preaching toppled the pride of kings. It brought the praetorian guards, what were like the navy seals of his day, brought them to their knees in repentance. His uh, singing songs at midnight made the jailer and his fellow prisoners tremble to the point that they fell down under conviction, crying out, what must I do to be saved? Just by the songs that they would sing. I mean, demons, the Bible tells us, demons knew him very well, and they feared and respected his walk with God. They didn't want anything to do with this apostle Paul. I mean, even the dead were brought back to life by his powerful prayers. So if you can understand, in, in my personal opinion, and I think most of us probably here tonight, would say along with me, Paul was the prince of preachers. He was one of the greatest men in Scripture that I could, uh, could ever find. But listen, with all that success that he had, Paul makes it very clear also that none of that success was the result of his abilities. And that's what he's trying to scream out to them about here tonight. Many of them inside that church know the heart of this gospel preacher, and they know his, his uh, great testimony, and their hearts really are given over to that man. But he wants them to be fully aware, what I did for you and the, the reason you have a church here had nothing to do with the things that I brought in to put onto the table, so to speak. Um, I, I've heard some football coaches that have been able to stand up before their team with, uh, they would give these great speeches, and maybe some of you guys have heard some of them, and maybe even know the testimony of maybe a team that was faltering, and they were the underdogs as they were heading out to some championship game, and everybody knew the other team was supposed to win. And I've heard a few of the speeches that uh, some of those uh, football coaches walked in, some of them just off the cuff began talking from their hearts. Others had prepared a, a speech that would really touch the heart of those men. And uh, I know several cases of that where some of those underdog teams were so stirred up by the speech of that man and what he had to say to them that those guys went out so emotionally charged that, man, uh, that team went out there and stomped the other team. And it's just an amazing testimony to the great speech that that coach was able to give to them. Uh, you might have even heard some politicians that have been able to give such carefully worded speeches and to be able to emphasize just the right words and to enunciate words in such a, an appealing way that uh, whole nations have decided to follow their policies. Hitler was one such example of that but so was Churchill uh, who was able to ignite his country with those motivational speeches that they would stand up and those countries would go out 
and fight those physical battles and and finally victory came to those nations or to that football team that uh, somebody had just a tremendous speech to be able to talk to them with. But please hear what I want to say right now. In true Christianity, more than our intellect and emotions have got to be stirred. If we have somebody that walks into this church, some visiting family, we don't have a clue what's going on in that family. We don't know what happens when they go back home at night. We don't know what the children are experiencing in the home under the hand of that dad or that mom or what that wife has to go through with the husband or vice versa. We, we have no idea. But what I do know is this. The devil is doing everything he can to take people down in the city of Sioux Falls. And, and here in, at Eastside Baptist, the devil hates us. And he wants to make us as miserable as possible. And I'm just telling you that those people don't need some fancy speech that will emotionally stir them up and get them emotionally charged and stir their wit to the point they will say, man, that's the kind of church I want to go back to. I want to hear that kind of a message every Sunday. But they walk out of here and in the depths of their heart, they still have the same tragic events taking place in their home night after night, week after week. Those people don't need good speeches. They need to hear about a God that can change their lives. It's not the enticing words of man's wisdom. And the Apostle Paul is coming back to them and saying, guys, you need to stop and remember, because I'm starting to notice some things in, in this church, and I can see things in Corinth here that you're starting to become more of the folks that are more encouraged by physical things and, and the outward appeal to things in life, and you're not changing men's lives like you used to change men's lives. You become a showcase you become somebody that uh, you like it when people drive by and say, wow, that, that's, a, that's a nice church, or wow, that church had really great music, but their lives are never changed. And Paul comes back and says, hey, let's ring a little bell here again. You need to know and understand, when I came to you, if you remember, it wasn't all about how nice of a speech I was able to have, or how emotionally stirred that uh, I was able to get you to be. Paul reminds them that his speech was not that of a Greek orator that was available in that day. And like Moses, Paul's speech was lacking in quality. Moses said, I, 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 I can't talk very well. Can, 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 can you get somebody else? All right, get your brother in here. Paul's speech wasn't a whole lot better if you heard him talk. I mean, you're in chapter 2 here. Why don't you flip over to chapter 10. Hold your place there. Chapter 2. Look what he says. The Bible says about him in chapter 10. Um, it's 2 Corinthians, by the way, not, not in 1 Corinthians. Go over to 2 Corinthians 10. Sorry about that. 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10. I like Ren Tin Tin. Does anybody know who I'm talking about if I say, I say Ren Tin Tin? Who knows Ren Tin Tin? Who are those 50 and olders in here? Yes, amen. Good people here tonight. My hero, by the way. Are you there in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 10? <clears throat> Here's what they say about him. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful. You know, when you just sit back and read the letter and just use your imagination... Man, that stirs the heart a little bit, but what does it say? 
his bodily presence, when you see the guy, is weak, and his speech is it's contemptible. I mean, it's, it's disgusting. It's so common, just like the common man, and, and really has no effect or an impact in, in our lives. So, so number two, can I just say this? Success with God is not hindered either by our weaknesses. Success with God is not hindered by our weaknesses. Look in verse 3, chapter 2 and verse 3 there. Um, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Wow, the great apostle Paul, when he stood before the Corinthian people, you're telling me that he stood up and he got a little bit nervous before he stood up in the synagogues or tried to go out in front of that crowd and witness to them? Are you telling me that was the apostle Paul? The way he came to them? Well, I don't know how else to read that. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And like I said, as we read there in, in 2 Corinthians 10.10, his speech was contemptible. His body, his presence was weak looking. Uh, and, and we're probably very well aware that Paul also had a thorn in the flesh. I know it was a messenger of Satan to buffet him, but I believe it caused some kind of physical infirmity in him. Others have told us that he probably had poor eyesight because he told the Galatians there in chapter 4 and verse 15, he said, uh, guys, you even told me that if it was possible, you'd have plucked your own eyeballs out and given them to me. Uh, so we, some believe the, he had really poor eyesight. Some believe he was a little short, hunchback, kind of an old guy. If you'll go uh, hold your place and go back over to Acts chapter 18, to the left. To the left, Acts chapter 18. Y'all turn in there? Acts chapter 18. Everybody there? Almost, huh? Look in verse 1. So notice what's going on here in verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens. So that's where he's been, that unknown God and so forth. Notice where he's going and came to Corinth. Now drop down to verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Now notice what God has to tell him. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Hey, can somebody tell me, why is somebody anybody having to say to the great apostle Paul don't be afraid now why would God have to say that to him back over to 1 Corinthians 2 because Paul when he came to them came in fear and trembling Um, it it, it was a, a weak presence that he brought with him and can you just tell me this also guys I know Paul had the right message and everything But how can a little guy like him with poor eyesight bumping into the pulpit when he comes up and barely making it up the steps? I'm trying to envision this. I don't know if this was exactly how it was, but from some of the descriptions I get, I can envision some of this possibly. How could that little guy sit down there and the whole time he's got the Bible in his lap and the pages are shaking like this, he's ready to get up and preach to a crowd of people and he's trembling and he stands up with a message burning on his heart. How does a little guy like that get up and accomplish anything for God? (laughs) Because he trusts in a great big God. 
He trusted in a God, though his hands were trembling and his heart was fearful at times and Satan was attacking him, that messenger of Satan that he begged God to to remove from him three different times. And after that, he's like, okay, I'll trust in the grace of God. And I just believe that God's going to be with me. You know, courage is not the absence of fear. It's just knowing the one who holds your hand while you step up to the plate. That's my own little kind of version of that. Paul understood. Yeah, I can be fearful. How many of you teach Sunday school or ever taught a Sunday school class? See your hand. Hold them up. Let me see you. Okay. Put your hands down. How many of those same people the first time you got up were fearful and trembling inside? And they were just kindergartners. (laughs) Five-year-olds. Oh, I don't know what they're going to do to me. (laughs) You know, know, we're like that so many times. And yet you stood up and you'd prayed all the night before and begged God to use you and And uh, you stood up in front of that class, whatever it was, or in front of those people, and you stood there trembling and shaking, and you taught the pure Word of God. Did you have somebody come up to you ever and just tell you, hey, that was a a great lesson. God used that in my life. And you're sitting there thinking, that lesson? I've done that so many times. People have said, preacher, that message was just what I, and I'm waiting to hear them say, (laughs) did not need to hear that's what i'm thinking and i'm like yeah i know i understand horrible and they just like i so needed that tonight i just want to tell you success with god is not hindered by your weakness success with god is only hindered when you're unwilling to let god use a fearful trembling body and god's looking for people that will surrender to him and allow him to do some great things through you surrendered to him A lot of people hold back on serving God because of some fear of maybe your physical appearance. You know, you you don't have that look of confidence, you say, and my abilities just aren't there. Well, guys, would you just kind of go back and read what Paul said? You know, I, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and reached continents for the Lord. Do you understand that? So you think God could use somebody like you, fearful and trembling, and, and I don't have a lot of talents, and I don't have much to offer God? Guys, honestly, it's not how much you have to offer God. It's how much you're willing to give to God and let God work through that. God's just looking for a channel to work through. And, and Paul's trying to say to them, you're getting this all wrong. You're, you're making it all about how nice you look and how good you can, you can talk and how confident you stand up like the you know, uh, the, the Gnostics and the, and the Greeks and the philosophers of his day. You're trying to take on their qualities. You're trying to adopt the world in your church. That is not going to work at the house of God. By the way, it's still not going to work at the house of God. <clears throat> so last, godly success is determined by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the weakness of man. Now look in verse 4. Notice how he puts it here. And my speech and my preaching was not within enticing words of man's wisdom. He's already kind of said that. But in demonstration of the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, and of power. Because that's the only place you'll ever have any real power to change the heart of a drunken man that finally comes to the house of God and sits there thinking, if I don't get something to change my heart, then I have nowhere left to go. And if we think it's all about, and we need to be handshakers, and we need to be backpatters, and we need to be encouragers, and we need to put on the best show, that's the wrong way of saying that. 
put on the best that we can at the house of God, and I understand that. But if that's all there is when they come to the house of God, if there's not something that has power in it that will change the heart of that drunken man, then that wife and children go home as hopeless as they did when they walked in the house of God. The house of God needs to have somebody in there that'll stand up behind a pulpit with the Spirit of God upon him, somebody that has spent time. How many of you believe that the preacher ought to spend time with God in prayer and beg that God would do something at the house of God on Wednesday and on Saturday night for Sunday? How many believe you need a preacher that would be willing to do that? I say a big amen to, to, to that as well. And I try my best to do that. I can do better, but I do try my best to do that. But how many of you would also believe that when a choir member stands up here to sing the Word of God, to praise the Lord, that that choir member needs to have spent some time with God so that when they stand up there to open their voice, it's not the enticing sound of the wisdom or the voice of some man, but it is the Spirit of God stirring them up to give praise to a holy God. How many believe that that ought to be the case with every choir member? You stand up to sing a, a special over here, and my heart is moved by it. I mean, all day Sunday, my heart was so blessed that music was so good, but I believe with all my heart before you ever stand up here to sing a song that <clears throat> we trust and pray will lift up the name of God, you need to have spent some time with God so that by the time you stand there, it's not going to be about my flesh, it's not going to be about how good my voice actually comes across. Matter of fact, somebody breaks down and sometimes can't sing all the words, but the Spirit of God was moving in their hearts. Those are the things that will change the heart of man. That's when somebody begins to pull out either that little Kleenex or that hanky from a guy. Oh, okay, guys, just wipe their eyes with their sleeve, all right? And we'll reach into the heart of that man and begin to change that man. How many believe that when a mom and dad get up in the morning and you've got little ones running around your feet and you just look at them and you say, Oh, God, I hope and pray those kids will grow up one day to serve God. We say our little two-minute prayer on the, way to church, on the way to work. Come back home, that's about the way it is when we go to bed. How many of you believe that if you want children that are really going to grow up to do something for God, whether just a strong Christian at, uh, at, uh, at work here in Sioux Falls or out on, uh, in the ministry serving God, how many believe it's going to take more than an outward show than just making sure that our house looks really nice. And we ought to do that. We, gotta, we have a testimony to uphold. I understand that in our community. But teaching them how to mow the lawn straight and how to mend a, a dress or how to cook just right and make sure you get the dishes clean, which we should. But if that's the extent, mom and dad, of how we're raising our children, then it's all going to just be an outward show when they get into their married life. And wonder why we have so many problems in our lives and in our marriages and in our relationships. And why does our relationship seem to be so shallow? Because they were raised that way. And Paul's just trying to come, I really believe in the Spirit of God tonight, trying to come to our church tonight with the Word of God tonight and get us to understand that if that's the way you want your church to be, if it's going to be shallow and if that's... Uh, how, uh, you know, you're going to try to draw a congregation is by the showiness and by, you know, even just your kindness and that we ought to be kind and on and on. But if, it's, if that's the level that's going to be, look what happens in verse 5. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but guys, it will. 
if that's the level that we hold our church to. If that's the level you keep your Christian walk to, that all you show at work is just a showiness. You have your life together and you're, you're a very confident person, but if the Spirit of God is not working in your life, then really you're not going to have really any kind of an impact at all. Your faith is going to stand in the wisdom of men. But Paul said, I didn't come with enticing words. I came to you in weakness and in trembling. I was fearful. But we all know Paul, when he had every opportunity, was back behind some little wall somewhere begging and pleading with God praying that God would work in the midst of that next sermon he was going to preach, praying that that next city that is apostate and wants nothing to do with God and full of philosophers and on and on it could go, begging that God would come in and get out ahead of him and work in the hearts of those people there and would beg and plead that God would do something in that town. Paul was the kind of guy that knew, I don't want their faith to stand in the wisdom of man. All I have to offer them is this and a God that can reach into their hearts and change their lives. So, I'm just telling you, every person that claims the name of Jesus Christ, when you get up in the morning or before you go to bed at night, need to spend some quality time with God, chastening the old flesh, crucifying my my life, laying my life down before God and pleading with God that it won't just be me when I step out to work tomorrow. It's not just going to be about me when I stand before my wife and try to encourage and challenge my wife in the things of the Lord or if you're the wife, my husband to build him up in the things of Christ, praying that it will be more than just a man that teaches how to put uh, bread on the table for your children. God, help me to be a daddy that can change the lives of those children by the Spirit of God that works in their heart and soul. You know what Sioux Falls needs? Um, Does it need another big mega church? If God allows us to grow, praise God, I'm, I'm, I'm all about that if it's done the right way. You know what Sioux Falls really needs? church that has the very best choir in, in town, a church that has ample parking now. No, Sioux Falls needs, I believe with all my heart, a people that have humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God and said, God, I recognize and realize it's not all about me. It's about a God that wants to work through me. And I give you my life tonight. Please use me in service for the Lord. So whatever you're doing, whatever ministry you're involved in, whatever position you hold at your house, the people that you have influence over at work or your neighbors or whatever it might be, God help us to get past this this outward appearance only and help us to get down to the things that will really change the heart of a man. That is the spirit and the power of God. I believe that's the message Paul had for this church uh, here in Corinth, but I believe it's a message for the ages reaching down into our church here tonight as well. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.